morning. Today's scripture reading is from 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigner in exiles to abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Fantastic. Good morning, church. Please open your Bibles to uh, Daniel chapter 6. As we hang out, we'll still get one more of our Hebrew ancestors who had courageous faith. Let's pray, church. Wow, Father, what a great day. Um, To see Jalen baptized in the Christ just got us started. And then to see these young ones come across the stage and one more time be able to place your word in their hands and to say, please, be, be in this word and let it be in you. And we do pray again, Father, for all those kindergartners who walked across this stage and who are beginning uh, to step out into the school system and to be light in what can be a dark place at times. Thank you for this church family. This is just a family day. And we give you all the glory and all the praise and all the honor for what you're doing among us to help us look a little bit more like Jesus than when we came in. We want to lift up this morning also uh, the disciples that meet at Living Waters Assembly of God. You know who they are, and we ask your blessings upon them as they also break bread and hear your word preached. Please, Father, unite our hearts together in this community, Uh, not to just be a, a group of folks who gather up, Uh, but to be a group of folks who go together in the name of Christ to make a difference in our world. We ask this humbly in Jesus' name and all the church said. Man, I have been loving the rain that God has so blessed us with the last couple of weeks. Um, We cried out often and earnestly, please God, help break this drought that we're in. And he said, yes. He gave us incredible rains during the spring. Now he's given us some rains that we don't normally see, at least not since we've moved back to Texas here in this summer. And we're grateful. But as Tom prayed a few moments ago, there are some folks in South Louisiana who will tell you that you can get too much of a good thing. And they have. Over $21 billion they're estimating right now has been done in damage there. Thousands upon thousands of people are out of work. I uh, contacted White's Fair Road Church of Christ, who is one of our brotherhood's just flagship, um, they just go into places of disaster and just do a great job in helping to, to love on those people, being a part of the rescue part of that, being a part of the restoration part of that. And I wanted to know where they're at right now. And they said, right now it's just rescue. We're just trying to keep people out of the water. And we really don't want people coming down here to help yet because they'll just get in the water and we got to go get them out. So um, just be in prayer, they said. Lift these people up in prayer. Lift us up in prayer. And all the other agencies are going to be coming to the aid of these folks. And um, where you can, send money. And uh, where you can, come and be a part of the recovery and the restoration effort. And we'll keep you posted about those. The weather that we've experienced kept three of our elders grounded who had a conference in Dallas to get to this week. And Don Barnett, one of our elders, was going to fly them there. And in talking with him about the storms that had grounded them, I asked him if he had ever had to undergo some training to fly in inclement weather. He said, sure I did. Particularly they helped us train to fly in fog or rain or through clouds, really any circumstance that overtly distracts or disorients a pilot. 
And for that training, he told me that as an instructor, they would place this on the pilot's eyes. Now, I, I know some of you seeing that are thinking that you've seen people wearing that in Kerrville while they were driving. It's supposed to be only used in an airplane by an, a professional instructor helping a pilot learn how significantly important that instrument panel is. And that cover over their eyes keeps them from seeing the ground or seeing the clouds or the horizon so that they learn to completely rely upon the instruments that are in front of them. Don said the hood, once it's on, then allows the instructor to then put the plane on purpose out of kilter. It'll adjust the pitch or adjust the rudder to such a degree that it takes that plane absolutely off course and out of balance. His challenge, John said, is then with that on to look at that instrument panel only and to get that plane flying straight again and in balance. Now he'll tell you the training is to ingrain in every pilot's mind that the instrument panel is the ultimate authority in regards to what actions need to take place in any plane. Now I asked him, I said, does that ever come in handy? I said, oh baby, yeah. He said, we were flying back from Del Rio one night and it's pitch black across that part of the country. There's just not that many lights out there. And he said, I experienced what's called pilot's vertigo. It's a conflict that happens between what I sense I ought to do while I'm flying and what the instrument panel in front of me says I should do. He said, on this particular night in the darkness, everything in him made him feel like he wanted to turn that plane to the right. But the instrument panel said, no, you've got to turn it to the left. And Don said, man, I, I just couldn't turn that plane to the left it just demanded, my body said, you've got to go right. And I said, well, that happens a lot to Republican pilots. <laughs> he didn't think it was that funny either. But he really said, I was, I mean, I, I wanted to turn that plane left at my instrument panel says, no, you got to, I got that confused, but you know what I'm talking about. His senses wanted to do one thing, but that instrument panel said, no, you need to do this in order to get this plane where it needs to go. I think you already see where we're going with this. You may not have ever had to navigate a plane, but I guarantee you I know you're trying to navigate a life. I think we often find ourselves in situations like that where life gets out of control and we don't have a clue which way is up. We experience vertigo relationally. We experience imbalance because of our schedules. We experience stress that gets us absolutely upside down, it seems. And all of a sudden, our senses want to do one thing when the instrument panel says you need to do another. And that leaves us with a choice. Are we going to obey our instincts and our impressions and what they're telling us or maybe what the nail specialist is telling us or maybe what our golf buddy is telling us? Or are we going to listen to and obey what the instrument panel is trying to get us to do? God's Word has been a source of information that has proven itself reliable for century to century to century. And if you wonder why we give our kids so many Bibles, because we want them to be surrounded by them. The excuse is never going to be if you attended the KCC church that you didn't have a Bible in your house. But it will be, did you read that Bible that was in your house? And did you invite that Bible to be a significant part of your house? Some of you are here today. Maybe this has been a hard week for you. 
Maybe you found yourself a little out of balance. Maybe you found yourself experiencing a little of this vertigo that we're talking about. Maybe you're leveling out, but you're not quite sure. My question to you is, have you checked the instrument panel? God is so hoping you will because he has provided it for us so that we'll trust him and rely rely upon what he's trying to call us to do so that he literally will be the go-to place and the decisive voice in difficult times. Trusting his word over our feelings and emotions. I want to introduce you again to a young man that we've, I know, heard of before. And one of the reasons that we have a great deal of respect for this man and why we keep returning to his life is because he shows us where to turn when we find ourselves in difficult times. I think that certainly is the theme of the book of Daniel, and it certainly is the big idea behind the most popular story in this book, the story of Daniel and the lion's den. Now, it's hard to even begin to try to preach a sermon about that story because, man, we have heard this thing a hundred times, maybe a thousand times. But I hope some way, somehow, you'll hear this story a little bit afresh this morning because I don't want to talk so much about the power that got Daniel out of a lion's den and how that happened. I want to talk about what got Daniel in the lion's den. That's really where I want to take us this morning. Read with me in chapter 6 and verse 1. It pleased Darius to appoint 100 satraps, they're kind of like governors, to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them. One of them was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among these administrators and these satraps by exceptional qualities in his life. So much so that the king planned to set him over the entire kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and he was neither corrupt nor negligent. And finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man unless it has something to do with the law of his God. When we come to Daniel chapter 6, Daniel's serving, hear me, under his third ruler. He's nearly 80 years of age when this story takes place. He's one of the many youths that Nebuchadnezzar deported when Jerusalem was taken over by Nebuchadnezzar back in 605 B.C., and they were taken away to Babylonian captivity. At that time, Daniel is probably 12, 13 years old. But he's a young man of faith, And he would not worship the gods of Babylon, study their ways, yes. Even help them in those ways to be effective, to reach their goals and their prosper, yes. Because, as we're going to find out, this text just shows us, he's moving from one level in this government and among these people to the next and to the next and to the next until finally they just want to place him over the entire country. However, Daniel absolutely refuses to kneel before the Babylonian gods And he remains faithful to God in a distant land. And that, my friend, is really the theme that I want to leave you with today. How can we be faithful in a foreign land? You say, but wait, Jimmy, we're in America. Yeah? But still, Peter is going to call us to remember that we're really exiles here. No matter where we happen to be. He's going to help us remember that really we're not home yet. That heaven's our home. And that anything that we do to try to get cozy here actually works against God helping us to make an impression for him while we are here. 
Now we find our place in a, we find ourselves in a place I know you know is becoming more and more hostile to the ways of God. So how are we going to live in a land like that? One apostle wrote, dear friends, I urge you, live as foreigners and exiles and abstain from the sinful desires that wage war against your soul. That was read by Noah just a few moments ago. And I want to underline it again. Because I forget sometimes that's how I'm supposed to live. Let me ask you, do you know you're a foreigner? Well, let me ask it the way Texans say, do you know you're a foreigner? You are church. And if you're a Jesus follower, you're an alien, some translations say. This isn't your home. And one of the biggest dangers we face daily is when we start thinking, this is our casa. And it's just not. So don't get cozy in Babylon. When you're making close choices for back to school that reflect your father's idea of modesty rather than the culture's, that's a good sign you realize you're not at home. When you make choices to bless others with Bibles and clean drinking water rather than get yourself one more luxury, that's realizing you're not at home. When you refuse to belittle or bully someone because the crowd around you is belittling or bullying someone, that's a good reminder, a good realization. I'm really not at home. I'm asking you, please, may God gently remind us that while we're in Babylon, there's always going to be this tension that we're not home yet, of being here but belonging there. And Daniel shows us how to be a people of courageous faith in a place that has little. I'm telling you, he holds on to his faith during the days of Nebuchadnezzar. He holds on to his faith during the days of Belshazzar. And now he's serving under Darius the Mede, the ruler appointed by his king to reorganize all of this country of Babylon. And in the process of reorganizing it, Darius comes to admire the ability of Daniel and he seriously thinks, this guy needs to be over everything. And when the rulers who have been serving with David hear about this, they say, oh, over our dead bodies. (laughs) This ain't happening. Not on our watch. They become incredibly jealous See, they know of Daniel's capabilities, and they know of his squeaky clean character. And they realize if this guy becomes president, if he becomes prime minister over the whole country, all of a sudden, our bank accounts go a little bit lower. Less and less money that we can extort from people because of padding our accounts, selling our influence. It ain't going to happen, not under Daniel's watch. And so they come up with a trap for Daniel. They set out to find some dirt on Daniel. But they can't. And that's amazing to me. 80 years old. He's been in Babylon for almost 70 years, and they can't find any dirt on this guy. He's not a womanizer. He doesn't take bribes. (laughs) They checked his emails. Nothing. No accounts in the Bahamas where there's money stashed away. Not not padding his expense account. Nothing. The guy's convictions were not for sale no matter who was in charge. Why? Why? Because cash and consensus didn't determine Daniel's convictions. Cash nor consensus determined Daniel's convictions. And I'm just thinking, that would probably be a great thing to have said about me and about the family that I serve with. Well, the jealous insiders seek to trap this faithful outsider because he's not covering anything up. We come to this next chapter or this next text verse in the chapter 6. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, oh, didn't come up. There we go. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, may King Darius live forever. The royal administrators and prefects and satraps, advisors and governors have all agreed 
that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anybody who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into what? The lion's den. Now, your majesty, ensure the decree and put it into writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. And so, King Darius put the decree in writing. I had a chance to, um, on our vacation in June, to stop into Oak Hills and had a chance to listen to Max Licato teach on this particular chapter of Daniel. And all the lines that I wrote took away from that. He says a line about Satan that stayed with me. Satan's name is not mentioned in the book of Daniel, he says, but if your Bible is turned to the book and you lift up the nose, lift it up to your nose and you smell the pages, you can't miss the stench of sulfur because he's on every page. Oh, the guy can write well. Satan's name is not mentioned in the entire book of Daniel. But if your Bible is turned to the book and you lift it up to your nose and you smell the pages, you can smell the stench of sulfur because he's on every page. And he is. Daniel's co-workers can't dig up any political dirt on him, and so they appeal to the pride of Darius. What a smart move. They come to him and say, oh, Darius, you are such a great ruler, such a wonderful guy. There is none like you. And so we've got a proposal. No more of these praying to any other idols or human beings, but you, King Darius, what do you think about that? And I'm sure one of the court reporters who was taking notes about all this sneezed and said, brown noser. That's what they're doing. They're just filling him with full of fluff, and he's loving it. He's loving it. And we love it, don't we? Darius says, well, finally some guys who've got some taste, and finally some guys who have some wisdom, sure, Where's that thing? Let me sign it into law. And he does. No prayer for 30 days unless it's to Darius. Wow. What a compliment to Daniel. The only way in the world they can trap him is to make prayer illegal. If prayer was illegal, would it get you in much trouble? If someone levied a law that said that we're going to put all prayerful people in jail, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Does the devil dread your prayer life? Can I be honest about mine? Maybe. Maybe a misdemeanor. What a compliment to Daniel. For Satan to say, I can't trap this guy in bad things, so I'm going to need to discourage him in a good thing. And that's how he traps him. Now, may that be the only way that he traps us. Daniel responds this way. When Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened to Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Wow. That's how Daniel responded. And I love it. Three times a day, regardless of what he's doing, he walks to his home, climbs the stairs, opens the window, faces westward to Jerusalem, and he prays every morning, every time at lunch, and then in the evening. 
But what about the decree? How is he going to respond when he hears about the trap? When he hears with his own ears that any kind of prayer offered to any god except Darius is going to get him thrown into a lion's den. Well, he made his way home. He opened the front door. And he climbed the stairs that went to his room. Stood next to the window, kicked open the shutters. It faced toward Jerusalem. And he gave thanks and prayed. And I'm amazed at his courageous faith. He wasn't about to let some ruler's decree interrupt his daily devotions. Not on his watch. His prayers to God mattered to him more than his allegiance to Babylon. And I'm going to tell you, I admire that kind of courage. I want to be that type of courageous. Not where crisis dictates me to have courage, but that crisis reveals courage in me. I'm afraid I would have found a number of reasons to pray differently. How about you? If there was ever a time to have justified a season of silent prayer, this would have been it. Do you think he could have determined, all right, I'm going to pray, but I'm not going to open the window. I'm going to pray, but I'm going to do it late at night when nobody sees me. I mean, it's not when you pray or where you pray. It's just that you pray, right? And Daniel would say, wrong. When the devil draws a line in the sand with his big gnarly toe and says, I demand you stop acknowledging God publicly, we got a problem with that. Do we have a problem with that? So Daniel stood, and he opened the window, and he prayed to Jerusalem, just like he did every single day of his life, and here's why. These prayers weren't just some idle habit of his. This was his declaration of his ultimate allegiance. Daniel's lifestyle was not going to be altered because of a life crisis. Can I say that again? His lifestyle was not going to be altered because of some life crisis. And I so admire him for that. Now, praise God for those people who, in a moment, are facing a life crisis, and someone comes up either with a big sword or comes up with a 44 mag and says, if you say you're a Jesus believer, you die. I am. Bang! And they're dead. Or whoosh! And they're dead. And that's happening right now all over this globe. And God bless anybody who has... The kind of faith to say, yes, I'm a Jesus follower, or yes, I follow God in that moment. But i got to tell you, that has my awe. But who has my ultimate admiration are those people who day in and day out in their lifestyle continue to make God their ultimate authority regardless of any life crisis. Every single day that they do that, regardless of who's watching or not. And I hope to be counted in that kind of group. And I say that today because... We've got in our, in our house some very special missionaries that are out to be going into a very special mission field. And the world's going to wonder, who has your ultimate allegiance? And I'm talking about every single one of us who are heading back to school. Some are going to do so as coaches. Some are going to do so as school nurses. Some are going to do so as principals and vice principals and others as teachers. But you know what? The majority of our missionaries are students. And I'm going to ask those missionaries to stand up. If you're headed back to school this week, would you stand up? Come on.
Go ahead and sit down. Because I really don't want to embarrass any of you. I just want to applaud you. And say, those who didn't stand, who've already finished school, we're not the missionaries. You're the missionaries. You're the missionaries that God is sending into that school system to be a light for him and his kingdom. You are. Last week we had the eight-year-old stand and it was just so funny to, see, to have them stand up. And we talked about, well, well, could one of these possibly be the king? Well, Josiah was. And I had you stand this morning because I want you to remember that when you go and walk into that school, someplace, somewhere, somehow, eyes are going to be on you. And they're going to be wondering whether they ever come up and ask you, do they really mean this church stuff in their life? Does it really matter? Or is it just because of who they happen to be around at the moment? Or is this really who they are all the time? What happens when Daniel doesn't fold? Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. And so they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anybody who prays to any god or human being except you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? And the king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. And then they said to the king, and I can kind of hear them saying this, well, Daniel, who's one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you. Your majesty Come on. He didn't pay attention to your decree and put in writing. He still prays three times a day. And when the king heard this, he is furious. No. He's greatly distressed. He's determined to rescue Daniel and to make every effort he can to help him until sundown comes. It's one of my favorite parts of the story. Every one of us has had some kid tattletale on us, right? Well, that's what these group of advisors are doing here. They're just tattletaling. We saw Daniel. He's still praying. And you made that law. What are you going to do about it, king? In their best whiny voice. What are you going to do about it, king? And what he wanted to do about it was find some way to get Daniel out of it. Because he so respected his integrity. And so ex- respected his dignity and his character. He works all day to try to find some kind of loophole in the law. Because he really respects this man. And when he doesn't find the loophole, being a man of his word himself, Daniel gets thrown into a lion's den. Now you're going to have to come back next week to find out what happens. So don't be a spoiler, all right? The truth is you know what happens. But what happens with the life of Daniel in the lion's den, listen to me, isn't as significant as the life of Daniel that got him into the lion's den. That's what I want you to remember today. I know it's amazing what happens to Daniel in that lion's den, but what's even more amazing is the life that got him in there in the first place. In John chapter 17, Jesus, before he's about to be thrown into his own lion's den by the lion of lions, prays over his disciples whom he is going to send out Like we're sending out this group of missionaries that just stood a few moments ago. He's about to send them out into the world. And here's what he prays over them. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, Lord, but that you protect them from the evil one. 
They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by your truth, because your word is truth. you got to note this. Jesus had all the power and authority in the world. He could have skipped facing this lion himself. And being on the other end of some incredible abuse that this lion is about to, to pour out on his own body. He could keep his disciples from experiencing face-to-face confrontations with this lion of all lions that they too will face just like he will. But he doesn't ask God to pull them out of that lion's den. He asks them to protect them while they're in it, not prevent it. Now, here's a question that I want to aim us to as we start to wrap this up. All of you missionaries that we're about to send back into the school system, will you step into that school system, not for your glory, but for his? Will you? We're watching you grow up. We're we're around you, and we're seeing a group of people that we believe can do that, or I wouldn't ask you. I'm asking as you step back into that school system, will you step into that system, not for your glory, but for his glory? Trusting him who sends you is faithful, and that's what he's calling you to. Like Daniel, God is not calling you to remove yourself from this culture, to live outside of the culture. He's asking you to live counter to the culture, and that's not easy. It's not. Romans chapter 12. Paul's going to put it into language for Christians, not just for Hebrews. He's going to call us to the same kind of life response that Daniel is the poster child for. You know these words. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, and I've got that underlined for a reason we'll come back to in a minute. In view of God's mercy, you offer up your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and spiritual worship. Don't you dare conform to the pattern of this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what the good will of God is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Let's see if I, I, maybe it's true, but I doubt it. I'm going to assume that none of us here have been actually placed into a real lion's den. Anybody? Okay, safe assumption. But I can assume some of you have been in a courtroom. You've never had to look into the hungry eyes of a large cat, but some of you have had to look into the eyes of an angry boss. Some of you had to look into the eyes of an unforgiving spouse or an unforgiving parent. You never had to go toe-to-toe with a lion in a cage, but I want to remind you that there is a lion from hell who pursues you and who would like nothing more than to devour you. And I hope that unnerves you just a little bit. I hope that causes a little bit of vertigo inside your spirit just a little bit because what I want you to do is I want you to focus on the instrument panel for this instrument panel to tell you what to do next to fly at your best in this world. And that's to trust God. Trust God. Hmm. And it's not going to be easy. And here's why. Because that lion knows every weakness you have. That lion knows every struggle that you have. That lion knows every chink in the armor that you have. As a matter of fact, right now, he's prowling around and he's looking, knowing your itinerary for the first week of school. 
And there's at least one of you in here that he's making sure your buddy has a little bit of weed to help celebrate the first day of school. And he's going to arrange a time so that you and he, or he, you, and she can smoke it. Satan knows you so well that he knows what your itinerary is going to be like this week. And for some of you, there's a little bit of downtime he's arranging for just so that you can look at porn. Because he knows that's your weak spot. He knows some of you are struggling like nobody's business in your finances. He knows that some of you are struggling like nobody's business in your marriage. And he's going to do what he can to try to convince you that don't tell anybody. Don't let anybody know. You and I, we can handle this. Well, he wouldn't say I. He's just going to say, I can handle this. Some of you are going to struggle with some money problems to the point that maybe, just maybe, you're going to be tempted to skim a little bit off the top when your manager's not looking because you know how to do that and do it well. Or to put some product in your pocket or to put some product in your car that the manager's not going to see because you're going to have some assistance and he's going to give you the justifications to do that verbally so you can get by with it. He doesn't play fair, but he does play for keeps. And what really takes him off is that any of you are listening to anything that I'm saying this morning. It really bothers him. That maybe, just maybe, there's a Daniel in the making here, a Danielle in the making here, who is going to be that one person who is going to stand regardless of what the circumstances are and be who God's called you to be. May that be you. Please be strong and courageous. Have faith like Daniel had. And there's two things that will do that real quickly. It won't take two minutes. A talk filled with thanksgiving and a walk filled with loyalty. This is huge, so huge, we're going to have a three-part series devoted to this right around the month of November, right around Thanksgiving. Because I don't think we understand the significance of Thanksgiving in our lives to be a people who live by faith. But it was right there. Go back and read Daniel chapter 6. That was the foundation of his prayers as he walked up those stairs, kicked open those windows, and talked to his God. It's the foundation of them. Not, oh God, please help me. But no, oh God, you have helped me. Thank you. It's so significant that Paul even underscores it in 1 Corinthians, Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. He says, in view of God's mercy, before I ask you anything, keep in your mind all that God's done. Now, don't you dare be conformed to this world. Don't be pressed into its mold. You help press them into God's mold. You can't do that if you don't keep his mercy locked on in your mind. Unless your, your talk is filled with thanksgiving. And then the second thing is a walk that's filled with loyalty. Regardless of the challenge in Daniel's life, it amazes me. Whether it was the food that he needed to eat or not eat. Or whether it was the, 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 the image he needed to bow down to, but he didn't. Or the decree that he was supposed to obey, but he didn't. Every single time. Daniel says, I don't care what anybody's asking me. The only thing that matters, what's the instrument panel say? What's the instrument panel say? And he was loyal to this God who had moved heaven and earth to even keep him alive. In Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 6 through 7, the wise Solomon says, many a man can proclaim his loyalty can talk it. But who can find a trustworthy man or woman? 
A righteous man who walks in his integrity, how blessed are his sons. One of the men who helped me learn to be a preacher when I was young was a guy by the name of Stuart Briscoe. He was a banker before he was a preacher. He was new at his first job, and one day the boss came by his desk and he said, If so-and-so calls, I'm not here. Stewart said, You going somewhere? He said, No, I'm going to be in the office here, but I'm not here. He said, Let me get straight. You want me to lie for you? To which the boss went upside down on him. Finally, when he had quieted down enough, Stewart said, Sir, you would think you'd be glad for me to refuse to do this. Because it makes sense that if I won't lie for you, I won't lie to you. Church, I believe when we get to heaven, I think we're going to be amazed at how much further our integrity took us over our ingenuity. What happens with Daniel in the lion's den, I really believe is significant, but not near as significant as to what got him into that lion's den. And it was, in a word, Integrity. Integrity. We've got some brothers and sisters who I am thrilled to have representing this body of Christ who are going to be taking to the schools. But this group of folks that I'm going to ask to stand next, they're they're leaders just like the other missionary leaders are. But they have a title. And so their leadership's a little bit different, all right? And I'm going to ask anyone here in this room today who has a leadership title, whether you're a nurse, a coach, a teacher, but you've got some kind of a title in that system, would you please stand now, please? Please. Remain standing. Now, I'm going to ask you, if you will, please come to the front, because we're going to pray over you guys. We realize that every one of us who are heading into that school system tomorrow has a difficult task. But we also know this, that these folks here who are in leadership positions, they have the crosshairs on them with the most intensity. Now that we've got these leaders up here and you have a chance to, uh, to see them, would you please thank them for even stepping into the arena? Okay, stay standing. Stay standing. I've got 20 minutes more sermon. Stay standing. No, actually now, what we're going to do next is pray over them. And I'm going to invite any of you who would like to come and surround these folks with prayer. Come stand up on the stage. Come get around them any way that you want to. Just put your hands on their shoulders, wherever. Don't put it on their face. They really don't like the face. But we're going to place these hands around them. And they're going to be your hands for those of you who don't feel comfortable coming up. I'm going to invite you to please extend a hand as we pray over these group of leaders who are going to go and be Daniel and Danielle's in our school system. Extend a hand with me and pray, please. Father in heaven, first of all, we come to you saying thank you. Thank you that we got out of bed this morning. We realize there's a lot of folks who aren't. And we ask your blessings to be with them. But you got us up and you brought us here today to a feast to get a chance to see a young lady give her life to Christ, to see our kids walk across this stage and to have an instrument panel placed right in their hands. And Father, now 
to have these leaders standing before you. We don't know what we're doing. None of us. And so we're grateful, Father, for the fact that you've revealed yourself to lead us to where we need to go. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this church. Thank you that we don't have to try to go it alone. But, Father, we will do our best to be your Daniels and your Daniels. We will do our best, Father, to stand for you regardless of what stands against us in this world. Thank you so very much that you stand not just alongside us but in us. Thank you for sending your Holy Spirit into this world to equip us to be everything that we can't be on our own. But, God, we ask a special hedge of protection around these leaders that are standing with us today. Please, as they go and serve classrooms, as they work in, in teams, or as they serve uh, in, in any capacity in our school that reflects who you are to a world, please, Father, enable them to put their feet on the floor every single day and to recommit their lives to you. Thank you so very much for their willingness to do so. Father, we come admitting first and foremost we are failures at doing this on our own. We can't be people of integrity without your spirit helping us. But we believe with all of our hearts that we can be with you inside of us and your spirit empowering us. So please help these brothers and sisters stand for you and to make a big deal about you in 2016 and 2017. And all the church said, amen.